0: Welcome to the Born to Write podcast, dedicated to writers, authors, and the art of storytelling. Go behind the scenes where writers reveal their ups and downs and how they finally shared their stories with the world. Now, here is your host, Azul Tirones. Hey
1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of Born to Write. I'm thrilled today to have William Hung, who after his American Idol audition and his rendition of She Bangs became famous for all the wrong reasons. But despite being beginning this way with the humble start, William redeemed himself, and he has since appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, and even performed with Ricky Martin in Las Vegas. I can't wait to talk about that. William has spent the last few years studying the world's top performers and public speakers to uncover the secrets of success. Using what he discovered, he skyrocketed his first album, inspiration to number one on the independent Billboard charts, and his latest TEDx has already been viewed by over 35,000 people in less than a month. He's spoken for uh, Microsoft, Remax, Corvo, and other esteemed associations. He now helps purpose-driven business owners go from hidden gem to industry rock stars by leveraging public speaking, and he helps them uncover their unique message and use it to get booked and sell out their stages, webinars, and live streams. William, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thank you.
1: Yeah. Now, I'm so excited you're here. A Champion by Choice was such a great book, and I want to talk right, starting right from the very beginning here. Most people will, well, if they've remembered your American Idol fame, will remember you from that. But so you're so much more since that time has happened. And you talk a lot about in your book about how failure is just the beginning or the impetus for something great. So where did this book start, William?
0: I was inspired by a conference in Colville that I spoke for. It's called the Global Sales Conference. And the theme was championed by Choice. Uh and that gave me the idea for this book because I thought, well, maybe I don't have the best talent, but somehow people chose me to be a champion.
1: Right. And it's really you did a great job of keeping that message throughout the the book. Now let's give let's paint the picture for people who don't totally understand. You are a student at Berkeley. You wanted to always wanted to be a singer. You talked about early days, even when you were young, you in Hong Kong, singing songs, loving karaoke. It takes some initiative to decide you're going to go out that door. And you talk about in your book that you, you won a, like a talent show before the yeah. American Idol audition. And that seemed to like give you a boost of confidence or at least to say, Hey, well, if I could win this, you never know. So what was it that gave you right. the, the idea that you said, you know, I might just actually walk out my door and go audition in front of these very famous judges who with 3000 other people.
0: Well, I was a struggling civil engineering student. And I wasn't happy with where I was going with my life. So I needed to try something new. Winning the Thailand show, that definitely gave me the confidence. And then when I saw the news on American Idol, I thought I had nothing to lose. Why not?
1: Yeah. So you went there. What was it like? So you get there. There's, it's a big auditorium. There's thousands of people waiting. You know, what was your, your what wasn't going on in your mind?
0: Not too much, very very casual. I I thought that usually I'm not going to make it to the next round or whatever, but that's fine. It's not a big deal to me.
1: Yeah. So in your book, you talk about the audition and, you know, you were kind of keeping it to yourself and probably didn't even realize that it was going to make such an impact in your life. And I think that's the theme that I really pulled out of your book is sometimes these steps, maybe even people would say they're missteps mistakes, failures are really the things that can really catapult you into the next the next realm. So what was it like to go into that classroom that day? You said you were in a classroom and you weren't aware that your professor was going to share this and then suddenly your life changed. What was the shift that happened once the show started to, to catch fire as well as your, your audition?
0: Well, I knew something was, was going to happen when I received hundreds of emails for movie opportunities, for appearance opportunities, right after they broadcast my audition, because that was very unusual.
1: Right. you got, I, did. I mean, people were just coming out of their woodwork, it seemed like. I mean, uh, You became instantly famous. And, and you...
0: Yeah. It, and those emails, they came from Entertainment Tonight, Ryan's Secret show. That's how I know. That was, uh, whoa, that's very unusual. How did they even find my email address? And I guess uh my, maybe because my Berkeley email address was easy for people to guess.
1: Right. Right. So they, they immediately found you and life started yeah. to shift, right? Because, and I know you talked yeah. about your book that uh, your parents weren't, they're very conservative. They, they had, they, they came from a very humble means. They brought you from Hong Kong. They were, they were from a different country and then they, they brought you here. So, it was their expectation you're going to get an education and get a good job, engineering, doctor, lawyer, or something like this. And then here you have this sort of deep down desire to be an entertainer and you're excited. And yet, you know, the spark, you knew eventually they're going to find out that uh, that, that, that things yeah. have shifted. So what was that like? Like, I know that because relationships with parents, they're always delicate. When things started to pick up and you started to actually start to appear on other shows because people knew who you were, what was that like for you?
0: It was a strange feeling. If to this day, it's, it's an it's part of my identity, the she bangs guy. <laughs> but, it's <laughs> yeah. about, uh, but it's something that I I, I would say is I'm not used to because I am used to being more the average guy, very humble, uh, almost like low key.
1: Yeah. So you're catapulted into the limelight. Like everywhere you go, people probably even start to recognize you because you're appearing on television. You're starting to sing. When the rise of this all this exposure started to happen. What were you hoping? And you, you you talk about in your book that you would be able to use this to maybe take an opportunity because really it's an opportunity. For whatever reason you get media exposure, you know, it does bring a lot of opportunity. And you mentioned some of those things, TV shows. And, but you, you in particular, you mentioned a, a record deal that started to come out of this. Let's talk a little bit about that and how that must have felt. And what was it like to kind of pursue that?
0: Well, the, the, yeah, in terms of the record deal, the way, Things happened. It, it, there, here's what's not in the book. Uh, <laughs> it, it, whatever, something crazy happened besides those emails, besides those invitations to the opportunities. I noticed that there were a lot of people trying to sell my t-shirt, my bobblehead head dolls right away at the same time without my, without my permission. It was all over eBay. Wow. I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> oh, and I didn't know, and I didn't know about this. Until my friend pointed it out to me the next day in class. So one of my classmates pointed out, wait a minute, William, did you, did you see this morning on eBay that people are selling your T-shirts in your bubble doll? I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And then a, a few days later, one of my friends created a website called williamhung.net. And, this, and, and there were multiple websites too. So I was like, whoa, what's going on there? So there, there was someone uh, creating like 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 William Hung fan site. So there's some, there's, there's multiple uh, William Hung websites out there, but that that William Hung really stood out because because that website got over eight million hits in less than a month and it crashed.
1: Wow. So what what was it that so that that would be unsettling to start seeing t-shirts on your being sold bobbleheads, and you—you you had just been a college student who went to go on an audition, just like the other three thousand people. Right. So you weren't prepared for this. Obviously, it wasn't what you were expecting. No. So many people, like you, I think in your book you mentioned that you had so many fans. Of course, there's always haters, and if your audition was based on Simon Gell's just harsh criticism, I and mean, we talk a little bit about in your book, you talk about the criticism you received, but. Or were you surprised by the, the, the growing fan base that started to happen from just an audition? You didn't even really get to perform completely, right? You just sang part of a song.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't. I, 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 uh, to this day, I still couldn't fully grasp like, like why it happened, what's, what's going on. But perhaps, you know, maybe, and it's, just, it's really my own hypothesis it, from watching the show from American Idol. Maybe I was in the right place at the right time because what I saw was how other people, they tend to get angry and upset when they don't make it to Hollywood. But I didn't.
1: Right. You mentioned that in the book, that you even saw people who were being taken away by security, that they were angry. Even though you knew that you were being sort of made fun of in that situation, you kept the best attitude and you just kept going forward. You just said, this is what it is and it's here for a reason. And instead of disappearing, you actually rode the wave of success um, to this day. And you talk a lot about this in your book about the different things, the roles, because like any moments of fame, they rise and fall, right? Even that show has risen and fallen, right? That show has sort of died away in some regards to other shows. So as this happened to you, you started to perform and we started to even be on bigger stages and, and, and be paid to do this. And then you talked a little bit about how it started to wear you out. You started to push yourself to the edge of like even your physical abilities because you were still a student. Right. You were trying to be a student at least. Yeah. But what was that yeah. like when you made that realization? Because so many people who who don't make that realization actually crash and burn and turn to other things that are probably not good for them. But I remember in your book, you talk about that. You said, look, I'm not going to do any more than four uh, interviews or performances in a month because I just can't do it. How was that for you? Because, you know, some people have said, look, no, just keep riding the wave while it's going well.
0: Mon- money is not everything. You you you. Sometimes you need to set boundaries for yourself and stick to them.
1: Right. I think that's a great acknowledgement because you could easily get lost in anything. Doesn't matter if it were fame, you could get lost in anything thinking that money is the thing. You talk about your other careers because, you know, once the, the, the fame, the, the calls started coming in regularly, I'm sure you still get called and get asked to do things because recently when we'll talk about this a little bit later you got to perform with uh, Ricky Martin on stage which that would be a dream right <laughs> that would be amazing right. but as things started to die down and you had you know you you decided you're going to finish your degree you talk about going into the classroom now I could relate to this section of the book we were teaching middle school because I was a middle school teacher for a lot of years and I just know oh, that wow. feeling of staring at I was I was education for 24 years so staring at middle schoolers and eyes who don't necessarily want you there don't want to do the work is a really humbling thing. Talk, talk about that moment where you're like, you're in that space where you went from this really high experience for many, many years and then to sort of a very normal life. What was that like for you?
0: You mean my teaching experience? What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. Like, so, yeah. So you, you were teaching and it's from going on media tours and performing and record deals to now in the classroom. What was the shift like for you to, to make that, that transition?
0: It was very unnatural for me as well. Yeah, I I needed to find a job that I was happy with, and I, at the time I thought that teaching math was the was the right direction. So that's why I went with it. But the but the students definitely didn't see me as a teacher. They 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 saw me more as their celebrity.
1: Yeah, that would be a little challenging because they they just. They wouldn't even see you as a person because the media painted you a picture of you, right? You, you didn't even get a chance to paint your own picture. So it was probably difficult right. for that to happen. So you, you didn't yeah. stay in teaching forever, uh, though it sounds like a good career to parents, you know, a satisfying career <laughs> and to other people. Uh, it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. And you, I think you went to work for as an analyst for, I think the sheriff's department and you, you were going to a more traditional job and you start talking about moving into this world of public speaking and your connection to Toastmasters. Talk about that. Like, How you started to transition, and and then we're going to return back to your singing career. What was it like to stand in front of a a group of people like in Toastmasters and start to present and find your voice, not as the person who sang on the stage, but someone who, who wanted to have this message, like this champion by choice message that was in his heart?
0: Well, when I transitioned out of teaching, because I didn't feel that was my ultimate destination, that's when I decided to work for the sheriff's department. And I thought it would be much more exciting. More like CSI or criminal minds <laughs> where, where, where I'm doing like really inspiring work to solve crimes. But it, that, it turned out that's not the case. Instead, you imagine if you are reading a bunch of police reports about rape, burglary and another, another crimes to extract the information that other crime analysts
1: need. Right. Doesn't sound as glamorous saying it like that, right? It's not like CSI. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded good on paper, but it's not as glamorous as everybody might think. So you do that job and you, you, you start to, you move up into another department and you start to present stuff. Tell me about that experience when you, you decided you would get more experience in Toastmasters and start to practice your public speaking abilities and start to actually get some recognition for your ability to share a message.
0: Well, initially when I, first joined Toastmasters about 7 or 8 years ago. I wasn't thinking about building a new avenue or new business or whatever like or whatever. I was thinking more in terms of having a, a outlet to express myself like you mentioned outside of work. And it was convenient. They the, the club I was in, they met every Tuesday right after work around 6:30, so I could just walk over to the library and show up.
1: Right, And what did you learn? What did you take away from that experience? Because obviously Toastmasters is an international organization. They help lots of people. It's actually, I would say, if I had my observation from the outside, it's quite a, it's an organization about more than just speaking. It's quite a relationships building thing. There's a community involved. Tell me more about like what that did for your confidence. Because in Championed by Choice, you talk a lot about overcoming things and staying on the course in the midst of adversity. So what was Toastmasters like for you
0: it definitely gave me the confidence to communicate my value with courage that's the hardest thing to do it's always an ongoing struggle because it's not just about communicating whatever you want with confidence that that i mean that's part of it but that doesn't really solve the problems in the world that doesn't really move the needle what moves the needle is articulating your value in the right way with confidence
1: right That's a great way to describe it. Can you talk a lot about your, how how valuable stories are in your book, being able to share them. And in your book, you're quite vulnerable. And I appreciate that. You know, you talk about, you know, marriages that weren't going so great and the mistakes that you made, but yet you have remained resilient. You haven't let that bring you down, even when you found moments of, you know, not, wouldn't say despair, but moments that were low for your life. What motivates you and drives you to continue on to share these values, these messages despite setbacks?
0: When I share these messages, I feel like an attainer and performer at the same time. Oh. It, it has it has a healing effect on me.
1: That's amazing. So you went, I mean, so many people would be intimidated by being interviewed by, you know, on The Tonight Show on Ellen DeGeneres. How did you find the courage or even the voice that you wanted to have before you got training to start to, to be a persona in the public eye, Not just on that one day at three minute audition, but then again, going to these shows and and showing up what was that like and how did you how did you decide to show up those days what were you thinking
0: I like how you mentioned about painting a picture of yourself for yourself like like how you mentioned earlier that I didn't get a chance to paint my own picture of myself to the public that uh, that, that is the reason
1: that you wanted to sort of show who you really were not the the images that were set in the media or let people create these headlines exactly. Right. You know, they're, they're, the headlines were, Hey, you know, William, worst singer in the world or all these things. And you right. wanted to change that narrative. You wanted to give them a sense of who you really were. Yeah. So you, you in your book, you talk about these dreams and, you, and one of the dreams was that you would be on stage with Ricky Martin. And that happened, I think it was last year, 2018, that you actually got a call or got yeah. invited. Tell me about that experience because this was like almost a whole decade later. That this, this probably a dream that you had before you went auditioned, I would imagine, for American Idol, that you get to be on stage with one of the most inf- famous singers in all the world. And obviously you loved his song because you wouldn't have sang it otherwise. But tell me about that experience. What was it right. like? Where were you? And like when you got the phone call all the way to the day you went and performed on stage?
0: I definitely uh, enjoy listening and singing his songs, but I did not expect to perform with him at all. <laughs> so that's why it's not in my dream. that's why it wasn't my it wasn't in my dream until Ricky Martin talked about me multiple times on the radio that how he wanted to find a time to perform with me together. Wow uh, and, and then three or four times that didn't work out over the years until last year.
1: So last year you get a call and you you where were you? Where did you perform at and and what was that like?
0: Uh, it was in Monte Carlo, Las Vegas. It was a sold out crowd. Uh, and it felt so surreal to this day. I couldn't believe it. It's definitely one of one, one of my life-defining moments.
1: Right. I mean, I've been to Ricky Martin concerts, so I know he puts on a big show. He's, he, you know, he's an amazing singer. He's got elaborate sets. And there, there you are, you know, probably re- reminding yourself, like, walking out your dorm room or out, whatever your apartment as a college student to this audition, and no one... Especially now you couldn't have imagined that you would be someday performing on the stage with Ricky Martin. And yet here you are as an adult, so many years later, performing live on stage in front of thousands of people. And that just to me, what just symbolizes this idea of not giving in, not giving up and defining yourself. And as you say, being a champion by choice. Yes. Yeah. One of the other dreams or aspirations you've had is to play professional poker. You've been doing it for a while, which is, I think, fascinating. And Something else that that you talk about in your book is these risks that you seem to, to take, unlike other people in your family, unlike even some of your friends. What gives you the courage to take these risks when, you know, other people don't?
0: I feel that I only got one life to live, and I need to make every day the best day it can be.
1: Yeah. Even when you fail, you seem like you get back up, you dust yourself off, and you keep going. William, this is an incredible resilient attitude that you have. And I think if the, the message I kept getting back and forth was failure is just, you, I think you said it, failure is just your sort of pathway to success. And you seem to keep continually having this mindset. Where does this resilience come from?
0: I would say initially, the way that my parents taught me, it definitely helps. Even though my parents They were not the biggest supporters of what I'm doing with my entertainment, my speaking, my entrepreneurship. One thing that that they really instilled in me since I was a a child is that it's okay to fail as long as you try your best. They really mean it. They were one of the few parents that didn't push me to get rank one on the test in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, getting rank one or rank the top rank is a big deal because it affects the school that you could uh, choose or you could get selected in. It affects your whole life because if you end up in a bad school, you can end up in the gang or the mafia at the time. So yeah, it's definitely uh, very helpful because I'm not the best student. I did not get rank one in my t- in my test, but it didn't matter. It's not the most important thing in your life.
1: Right. And that's that has a lot to say for your parents because that, that was something that's not a cultural normy. Well, particularly in Hong Kong, to say, you don't do your best. Usually it's no, you will do, you will be the best, not just try. And if it doesn't work out, it's okay. That's a very different supportive group uh, of parents, right? Because even working in in China, I realized that so many parents have such high expectations and it can really crush you as a person. Because even if you get in those high performing jobs, then you're not at the highest level of that job, then you're still not considered the best. And that can really bring you down. But you seem to have been taught about doing your best is more important than the achievement you get from being the best. Yeah. You talk about your lessons from poker. You talk about luck. You talk about what that means. Playing poker seems to be like such a different thing. I mean, it's not in my worldview. I've played poker before, like for fun. But when you think about luck and you, and you think about poker, there's so many things in it that is there's skill, but there's so much more. What's another lesson you've drawn from from this game of poker that you've been playing? Uh, in these tournaments that are really high stakes, what 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 are some of the other lessons besides luck that you've kind of learned?
0: Well, that's definitely a lot more skill than luck. <laughs> that's the first thing, <laughs> uh, and that's good, and that's a good thing because it's a very difficult game. There's a lot behind it, but, the, but it gives me perspective in terms of uh, how I make decisions in my life. The biggest aha moment is when I realized that you can't always wait for good cards. To make things
1: happen in your life. Mm. Wow, William, that's such a great idea. You can't wait for the best hand because if you waited for the yeah, best hand, you wouldn't get it, right?
0: You will get blinded out in the tournament. You get blinded out in the in the cash game.
1: <laughs> so is this so to help people out? So you talk about this idea of understanding your opponent because everyone has this idea. You can't wait for the best cards. So sometimes you or other people have to be bluffing if you want to stay in this game. So I agree. You, you have to think about your opponent. You have to think about the game as a sh- strategic game. What is it about observing your opponent that helps you understand in life that sometimes you get these blind sets of cards? You're like, okay, this is not the deck of cards in my life that I wanted to get. Uh, you're a perfect example of that. Look, the audition wasn't, you know, of course you didn't go there to not get in. You definitely didn't go there to be made fun of, but you took those cards and you decided to play the hand you were given. So how do you know yes. when to do that and when to fold or when to move ahead?
0: Well, I, I wish I learned this lesson earlier in my life. so I would say that a better approach that I'm doing now is to commit to one path and go all in. And go all in doesn't mean that, that you're stuck with that path forever. But like for well, my you know the last three years, I've been wavering back and forth. I'm not perfect. I struggled to, to, to stay on the path, you know, it's not a straight line, but now I feel better about committing to one path, uh, like the next three to six months and see what happens. And I really treat my speaking like a business and everything else in life, like taking more seriously, you know?
1: Right, I love this idea of committing to a path. Even if you, you abandon it later, even if it's not perfect, you gotta commit to it. And you talk in your book about having this deep intuition. How has your intuition kind of got more fine-tuned with these risks you've been taking, because you talk about this deep intuition. How would you describe that, and, and how has it helped you?
0: Well, at, at the poker table, being, being observant and uh, having intuition is uh, really, really important, because a lot of people, they just there to gamble. You know, they don't care. They're looking at the form, they're talking to friends, but I'm not doing any of those things. I am watching the patterns that they, they are making decisions. Are they bluffing too much? Are they not bluffing enough? And either way, those are things I can take advantage of at the poker table. And then, in terms of real life, I finally started to get clarity on the problem I want to solve. And, and that didn't occur to me until a few days ago. It's crazy, you know. I've been, I've been, <laughs> one, I've been wondering in my life, like, what exactly? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole, the whole thing about resilience, inspiration, all these things are great. But until we solve a specific problem for people, it's hard to for us to get anywhere nowadays. So I finally figured out the problem I really want to solve is to help people to speak up and stand up for themselves. All
1: right. Isn't that incredible how the very thing that you got known for, and you really talk about it, it was bullying. It, was, it wasn't it was kind. It was for entertainment's sake. You know, I think you're very gracious to Sam and Kyle, But for entertainment's sake, they put people on the spot. They make them feel bad. But you're talking now that you're you're helping people stand up for yourself because ultimately that's what you've done. You took this opportunity. You didn't crawl in a hole. You used it. Mm-hmm. But now you're using it as a way to help people to stand up in their greatest power, to stand up for themselves, yeah. to be confident, to be a champion by choice. To use your own words. And how is that going? What's the what's the impact you feel like you're having now? It's kind of making these shifts in this sort of this r- arena.
0: Well, I. For the dozens of people I work with, for, I would say the last five, six years in uh, from, uh, either from Toastmasters or outside of Toastmasters, I see people are getting more opportunities to express themselves. One of my clients just got accepted to do a TEDx talk in November and that took less than three months. So that is incredible because she's going to have a, have a chance of a lifetime to help more people to eat healthier food. So, you know, those are things that I don't take for granted. I feel like, you know, it's great that I'm having success, but I want to see more people putting themselves out there.
1: All right. You talk about that in your book about how to add value to others, a super important value of yours that you're not just, you didn't milk. And from my estimation from your book, your description, your journey wasn't without failure, but you didn't use it to harm anybody else. And you, you definitely see that giving to other people is super important to your your path going forward. And it's inspiring to know that despite where people come from and their failures, their successes, it's your attitude you bring with you. And that's sort of the message I keep getting from your book is how important that is to you, the values of giving to the world, giving back to other people.
0: Yeah. And if you, if we fr- if you frame your conversations that way, If you frame your message that way, uh, when you speak up and stand up for yourself, you have a much better chance to convince and persuade people to change.
1: Right. And you recently talked about your TEDx. Tell us a little bit about that TEDx and what sort of impact are you hoping that those sort of messages make some people?
0: I would like to see people see everything in their life. is a choice. It's not, you may not have the best circumstances. We may be dealing with things That's beyond our imagination, whether it's divorce, whether it's bankruptcy, whatever, right? We have a choice. We can wallow in our own misery or we can rise up and stand up again.
1: Right. And I think that's really great advice. Let's talk a little bit about the book. When did you decide you wanted to write a book? And, And how did you go through the process of getting your ideas on paper? Because it's one thing to write a speech. It's one thing to go on a show. But a book's a long commitment. So let's talk about that. When did you decide to write it and what was the process like for you?
0: Well, I, I decided to write the book since last year in February. It was a very long and grueling process.
1: Did you get help? So
0: the way, it, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I invested in a company called Book Launchers in, uh, based in Los Angeles. And they were very helpful with the whole book writing process because there's a lot of editing, there's a lot of back and forth in terms of brainstorming ideas. It's hard to come up with a great book. It really is. I could not have done it myself. There's a big difference between writing and speaking.
1: Right. For sure. So th- you got to the book, you wrote out all your words, said that, the, you know, now that the hardest part is actually continue to talk about it because the writing is just the beginning, because now you have to share this message. You have to continue to promote it and yeah. share and talk about it. I think a lot of authors yeah. don't understand that.
0: I I totally agree. You have to be your own best advocate, best marketing person, best (laughs) everything. (laughs) Right. (laughs)
1: And, And as an entrepreneur, you know, it's just another entrepreneur endeavor. A lot of authors didn't have that advantage that you had, which is, you know, what it's like to have to go through this whole publicity tour, how to continue to market it, how to sell it, how to use it to leverage other speaking gigs, get more clients. Like it's, it's definitely useful because people start to see you as Somebody else, because if someone says, "Well, what's William Hung doing now?" Well, he's a speaking coach. He's a motivational speaker. He's an author. Oh, right! They start to shift their mind because they start to see you differently. It's about all about painting that picture, that new narrative you you were talking about, letting people see you yeah. and the way you want to be seen. Yeah. If you have any parting advice for people that are struggling to get their message out there, wondering if they're good enough, wondering if if they're doubting if anybody will care, because I think there's a lot of things authors go through, you know, before they write, during the writing, before they even launch the book, they wonder if, if it will really matter. What advice would you give them, people who are wanting to write a book and share their message?
0: Think about the problem that you're solving by writing the book. What is it that you want to put out there in the world? What value are you bringing to the world before you even start writing the book? You know, if you're just writing a book, just Want to take writing a book? Then I would say no, don't do it (laughs) (laughs) because it's such a long, grueling process. There are better things you can do. But I would say for for, uh, even for me, the truth is I don't expect my book to be my primary source of income. For most people, that's going to be the case. So that's not so that. So if you're thinking like, oh, I'm going to be the next best selling out there, that's also not a good reason to write a book. Right. Uh, so I'm writing this book because I want to leave a legacy. Like you said, painting a picture, the, the complete picture, because any speech, any interview I could give, I could never provide uh, the entire picture. It's just too much, right? But in the book, it gives me the opportunity to take to paint that entire picture.
1: Right. And it's th- so true. You're not going to make a million bucks writing a book. If you do, it'll be kind of a fluke, just like the flukes that maybe you experience in your life. You can't have <laughs> predicted it, but it really does define you. You start to leave a message behind and also leading forward with your message. So people know that this isn't my story. This is what I stand for. This is what I believe. These are my values. And I think that's really awesome. If you had one last highlight to share about your life that you really struck you, that surprised you, like, wow, I didn't know this this shift would happen in my life. What would it be?
0: Hmm. I would say this whole book writing journey, the biggest reward is definitely not going to be sales. (laughs) The biggest reward is finding the clarity I have been looking for throughout my life. And it goes beyond business. It's also extended to my personal life. I am happy to share with your listeners that I finally, after two divorces, I finally found a girlfriend that I'm in love with.
1: (laughs) Yes, William, that brings me so much joy because I was rooting for you in the book and I kept turning the pages and I was like, Oh gosh, another divorce. This is such a letdown for William. I know he's had so much. Turn. <laughs> <laughs> I was rooting for you. So that, that brings me so much joy. And if you read the book and I suggest everyone read Champion by Choice, uh, you'll really understand how it's, you know, can be really devastating that people sometimes take advantage of where you. You fall into a bad relationship, but thank you for sharing that. That makes me so happy because I wanted to ask, but you know, it's sensitive. Like, you know, because if you ask and they're like, no, not yet, then it kind of could leave you with a like a bitter taste. But thank you so much. That's inspiring. You're an inspiration to so many people. For all the the people that remember you for the wrong reasons, so many people remember you as the person that said, I'm just going to be me. And you get a lot of people a reason to show up as themselves. I know this book has done that for me. It's reminding me about failure is just a thing. It's not defining you. And in fact, sometimes your failure does define you in a good way. And William, you've really done a beautiful job of doing that. And I really appreciate you for sharing and being here on this show. It's, I know, be inspirational for showing people that will read your book and hear about you here from this podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for being here.
0: No problem. You're welcome.
1: Join me again for another interview for great authors who talk about their story, how they got there and why they feel like they're born to write. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave an honest review, and you can always find me at coachazul.com.